Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Oh, cha cha cha. Oh, 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 nice. That was by far the best. It was. Wow. In case, case you're not sure what we're talking about, this is perhaps the most funny part in Puccini's Madama Butterfly, in which everybody throws shame at Chocho-san. Yeah, I would say that's the funniest part. (laughs) This is is not an uplifting opera. Sure. (laughs) And as you will be able to tell in just a few moments, we have a lot of feelings about this work. So right, feelings. like strong feelings. Strong, so feelings. strong feelings. But we're actually starting, or I guess we're, we are ending our This Versus That series comparing great operas with great musicals. And because we had so much to say and so many feelings to share about Madama Butterfly, mm. we're going to focus this episode on just the opera. And then the next episode, we'll then compare the opera to the musical... Miss Saigon. I mean, I have a lot of things that I'm going to want to talk about. <laughs> in Butterfly. Butterfly yes. that features the worst character in all of opera. You mean B.F. Pinkerton? I mean, Benjamin fucking Franklin Pinkerton. <laughs> B.F. indeed. B.F. indeed. Pinkerton. And so Butterfly is based on... A play? No, that's the Girl of the Golden West. What is Butterfly based on? Butterfly actually has more than one source material. There's okay. actually like two things. One of them is it's like a book slash travel diary. Was um, he actually traveling? Because around this time, I know that there were a lot of things that came out saying that they were like hidden documents or travel logs from like ancient exotic places like Madagascar and and ancient Rome and ancient Greece, and it turns out that it was all just total bullshit. <laughs> so so one of these sources is semi-autobiographical, and the other one is actually the guy wrote this short story. His name is John Luther Long. He wrote a short story in 1898, and he himself didn't travel, but apparently his sister did. And so it was like a story that he heard his sister tell him as she was recounting some of the things she had learned or seen or experienced on okay. her travels. So that short story was called Madame Madame Butterfly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then the other one was this semi-autobiographical French novel by Pierre Lotti. And that one was, like, published as a book. And I'm not 100% sure if that's based on Lotti's actual experiences or if it's just this, like, fabricated, exoticized mm-hmm thing because it was very trendy in france exactly. and paris at this time exactly. to write about exotic places mm-hmm. so the end of the victorian era is like colliding with the 20th century right and so in the victorian era there's these ideas of women being prim and proper in the west women were supposed to be like the angel in the house and only really groomed and looked upon as being like the perfect housewife and mother kind of thing and then Because of this at the time, there's this huge surge in interest of exotic places because if you can make a woman exotic, like from the Far East or from somewhere else, then you're able to make her like a sexual 
human being in one way or the other and it seemed <laughs> as somehow acceptable right and in, in society at this time right, i, I want to get into this right now yeah it's it's okay. ho- it's horrible B- let me just F- say Pankerton. let me just say quickly mm-hmm. i i laugh not because i think this is funny <laughs> i, I <laughs> good to clarify sir more so i more so just appreciate elspeth's reaction to mm-hmm. this scenario Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But it, it is deeply problematic. It's deeply problematic. Let's We'll get into it later. But right. for anyone that doesn't know, um, go back and you can listen to the very first episode we ever recorded. Uh, Giacomo Puccini, composer, loved him, the ladies. And there were a fair amount of his operas that he based sort of around women that he knew. And was Butterfly one of them? That is unclear. It's unclear. Yes. I keep confusing Butterfly with The Girl of the Golden West. Girl of Go- the Golden <laughs> West is definitely based on... What's her face? On... Doria Man- Manfredi? Well, it's no. it's actually her cousin, her cousin, Julia Manfredi. But for a long time, people thought it was based on the Doria Manfredi scandal. Right. And I think we talked about that in We did. Go one. back and listen to episode one. We're yeah. not going to rehash it. But people got um, murdered... Well, no, people killed themselves. It was a whole thing. Right. Some some people think that Madame Butterfly, that the character Butterfly was connected to Dorian Manfredi. Okay. Other people think that she is connected to another, like, fling that he had with a young girl that he found out ended up, um, like, had relations with men in which money was transacted. And so... <laughs> Very it nicely was, put. Right. It, and Or it was very vague as to like whether or not exactly this was the case, but Puccini felt like he had been betrayed because his private investigator oh, or whatever right. found this out, right? And so... Is this when the car accident happened? Yeah, it's before now the car accident. I remember accident. this. Okay. Yeah, and then before... This happens before the car accident where he's like considering running away with this woman and then... Woman. How old was she? I yeah, woman might be generous. So teenager. Well, she's a Lady. little girl in Madame Butterfly too. So yes. don't worry. And then he ends up finding out that perhaps she was not exactly what he thought she was, mm-hmm. or how he perceived her to be. So then he ends up deciding to leave her and not pursue a life with her. And then very soon after that, he gets into this car crash, and Karma. his lot. His long <laughs> karma, his longtime lover, Elvira Gemignani, she knew about all of these affairs that he had, but she still loved him, obviously. And she was basically like, you have to leave this woman mm-hmm. and, like, leave this all behind you. He gets into this car crash and he decides that, like, he's actually going to marry Elvira and forget about this other woman that scholars think might be the woman that he modeled butterfly on but they're not a hundred percent sure sure yeah but elvira for just for some fun backstory i can't remember if we talked about this in episode one but he met her because kyle will love this he was teaching her piano <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how you meet the ladies it is yes and it turned out that her husband was a horrible philanderer himself mm. Mm. she had a type yeah and she <laughs> so he ended up finding out about their relationship Puccini and Elvira and he got really upset and Puccini um well Elvira ended up taking her daughter by her husband at the time we did talk about this Fosca yeah. mm-hmm. and 
took her daughter and moved in with Puccini. And this caused a great scandal. But then her husband, many years later, I believe he got killed in a duel because, like, in a pistol draw duel Mm -hmm. because he was caught with another woman and the husband of the other woman challenged him to a duel to settle Mm. the matter. And... So yes, very so dramatic. Only, he didn't care. If he didn't only care about anybody, I don't think so. If only anybody could stay true to their uh, spouse. <laughs> Seems like none of them could really. I guess not. And maybe they had an open relationship. Look, if you, we're all married. You just gotta communicate. If everybody's on the same boat, then it's fine. If anyone knows what's going on, everybody's cool. You do what makes you happy. It seems like there was no communication in this regard. No, though, I I agree. In any for any of them, I'm just saying. Yes, no, that's a very fair point for anyone who is thinking about getting married, looking to get married. I've been married for one, two, <laughs> like four months, five months, four months, five months. Right. Let me tell you, expert. It's all about, it's all about communication. <laughs> Uh, so we rehashed the, all I'm an of this. Expert. Right. So he wrote he wrote Butterfly. At this point, Puccini... Well, Puccini was one of those very rare musicians that was successful in his lifetime. Yes. So mm-hmm. Puccini was at the height of his powers. He was Puccini. He lived at the... I want to say Villa de, P- de Puccini, but that's not what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> What's his house? <laughs> What's his house called? For all intents and purposes. I can't remember. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Casa Verdi, which is that retirement home for musicians. But what was his house name? Damn. They call it Villa Puccini today. Ha! And Suck it. <laughs> and it's on, or it's in the town of Torre del Lago. It's on the lake there. Right. Puccini loved hunting especially ducks and so there's all these pictures of him there's actually video footage of him in a canoe like that's so crazy (laughs) to think about that he's not so far removed that there isn't video footage of him yes it's pretty crazy yeah it is pretty crazy and he actually visited new york and i think there's a recording of him speaking oh really at a public event somewhere i believe um but yeah and so so he was puccini he was puccini height of his powers mustache full regalia blowing in the wind by the time he wrote butterfly he had already had several successful operas his first major success was manolisco right and then the next major success was la boheme right then there was tosca i mean and so tosca was written in 19 or world premiered in 1900 and madama butterfly i believe is 1905 and so like by this point he's he's puccini and whatever he writes is going to be like, everyone's going to wait with bated breath to see so what this opera is. Butterfly premiered in 1905 where? Sorry, 1904. 1904, sorry. At La Scala. At La Scala. In okay. Milan. Mm-hmm. And was it a huge sort of critical success, critical commercial success from the get-go? It seems like it was actually not that well received in the first oh. performance. Well, I can tell you why. <laughs> well... I think that in the time period, they believed kind of the poor reception was because the cast wasn't that good. Oh. Um, but then he also revised the opera several times, and then it kind of re-premiered. And in the re-premieres of it, it did much better. So it premiered like a month later with a lot of revisions in okay. Russia, and then it did much better. And then it came to the United States, and it did much better again. And so it was performed at the Met in 1906, and... Then um, he revised it again in 1907. So 
it did actually do well beyond its like within a very short period of time of its mm-hmm. world premiere. It's just the world premiere itself was considered poorly cast. So, so. nineteen oh seven, that version is the version that we know. I'm not a hundred percent sure what okay. the version is that we stick with today. Okay. But we do tend to have like one version that is performed all the time. Okay. And that's considered like the most accurate Madame Butterfly. So, um, for anybody that doesn't know the plot of Madame Butterfly, there is a child named Chosho San. What? Who is, how old is she? She's oh. 15? I thought you were jumping straight to her child, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. There's a child named Chocho san I believe she's 15. I think she's fucking 15. I can't, I don't think she's any older whoa. than that. Chocho san So basically, back then, this this opera takes place in at the in, turn of the century like in 1904 right like so, at the present time that it was written right so apparently it was cool around that time if you were a white dude um and you traveled to japan takes place in japan yes um that you could technically sham marry a japanese woman and it didn't count because she wasn't white Ooh. yes and that's basically what it's about this fucking dick named benjamin franklin pinkerton hauls his ass over to Japan because he's like a captain in the Navy or whatever the fuck. Um, and he's like, I want to marry and fuck a Japanese virgin. And so that's pretty much what happens. He There's a whole like marriage broker and everything like that. And he sees her and he's like, cool, this is happening. And she, because she's 15, I was just like, oh, this man's so handsome. I've never seen a production where that dude's been handsome, but okay. Um, <laughs> she's like, I love him. I he's- love him immediately. He's going, he's marrying me. And of course, she thinks that this marriage is real and he does mm-hmm. not. Um, he's going to marry me and he's going to take me back to America and we're going to live happily ever after. I've never she seen. She even renounces her religion. She for renounces him. her religion for him. I've never seen a production where Pinkerton is portrayed as anything other than the romantic hero and it makes me crazy it makes me fucking crazy i was gonna say at the onset of the opera you you see all of this come together and there's no indication that he is knowingly like participating in a sham well he actually says it he says it in the scene he's like i know this is not real He's like, don't oh, you know, shoot. when he's, like, with the marriage nice broker. Nice try, Kyle. Not paying attention. With, 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 with Sharpless, the marriage broker. Yeah, and he's, like, happy about it. He's like, it doesn't matter. I can marry her, and it's, like, this lease on the house, and our marriage is valid for a thousand years, but you can't, <laughs> like, if I go back to America, then I'm it not. It doesn't count I'm not legally America. bound to this woman, so. Right. So he knows, and the marriage broker knows that this is how he feels and the consulate who's there knows and the consulate's like butterfly's a good girl like don't hurt her fuck you dude so he's basically just doing it so he can get it on yes right so while he's in japan he could have someone that tends to his needs keeps house and like fuck someone who wants to fuck something hey oh there it is people hey oh earning the explicit rating oh you're all welcome that dude (laughs) fucking sucks he does (laughs) Fucking once, sucks. Once again, laughing at the reaction, not because no, what I that's think fine. He does that's is fine. Funny. Mm-hmm. And we're never told his age, but let's say firmly older than fifteen. Mm-hmm. Right. 
I'm going to say a hard 30. <laughs> he's a commander in the Navy. He has to, to be, be like at least late. I don't know. I'm going to say hard 30. Yeah. I don't care. So that's basically, I mean, generally the plot is that he comes over, they get married, then he leaves. Mm-hmm. She thinks that whoa, he's. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. So they sing some really pretty duets. <laughs> they, they do. So the music's very nice. The music of Madama Butterfly, like people love this opera because of the music. Mm-hmm. Right? And so this is one of those like problematic things where it's like the story and the dude are horrible. Right. I would love to see a production of Madama Butterfly where he is portrayed as nothing other than like. A sleaze bag? A real fucking sleaze bag. That would be nice. Yes. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. You're right. So she has this great um, this great scene where she, uh, Butterfly enters, and she's with all of her female family, mm-hmm. and they all come in, and they sing this great chorus, and of course he sees Butterfly for the first time, and he's like, cutching, and they have this amazing duet where she falls in love with him. Yes. Because in her, her mind, they are... This Married. is it. This he is, is he is her Lord Master and, and this is it. And in you know? in the duet you hear Butterfly's theme for the first time because she has her own musical theme throughout the whole mm-hmm. opera. And that musical theme, Puccini actually got it from a music box that a friend of his had oh, no brought shit. back from somewhere in Asia in his travels. And this music box ended up weirdly in a museum in new jersey <laughs> yes wait is it still there it's still there like right now in a museum in new jersey and for a long time people knew that puccini had contact with other like oriental music boxes that had been brought back from the orient mm-hmm. and so a lot of the tunes in turandot have been traced to these music box sources that he had at his disposal but this particular tune in Madame Butterfly, her theme, for years, for decades, a whole century, people thought that it was newly composed by him. And then actually, huh. um, Anthony W. Shepard, who is a professor at Williams College, I think, he was with his grandkids in New Jersey wandering through this area of the museum, the Morristown Museum in New Jersey, and... He was spending some time in the musical music box room mm-hmm. and he was listening to this music box and he was like, I've heard this tune before <laughs> and it ended up being Butterfly's tune. And then he That's did crazy. a bunch of research and discovered that like this music box actually had contact with Puccini and it was like the only place that Puccini had contact with this particular folk song. And that's where he got Butterfly's tune from. Can we listen to that Butterfly's yeah. theme? We can listen to the actual music box. So <gasps> what? here's the music box playing Butterfly's theme. Butterfly, the only character that gets her own, like, 
No, so there's, there's a lot of reoccurring musical themes in this opera. Mm-hmm. So one of them you would probably recognize um, associated with B.F. Pinkorton <laughs> is actually the opening of the Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, that's oh, right. right. Yes, it sounds like this in the opera. <laughs> You guys, poor showing of America in this. <laughs> or accurate showing of I mean, America. I, I truly, I mean, of course this happened. <laughs> right. Right, of course this happened. So, so they're married. They're married. They live happily together for, I don't know, a little bit. A little bit, and then <laughs> he minute. leaves. A minute, and then he's like, baby, I gotta go back to America. <laughs> See you soon, love you. Right. But uh, yeah, he does give an indication that he's coming back. He does, yeah. which which gives her hope. Hope, which is a dangerous thing, dangerous. as Morgan right. Freeman says in the Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Oh, love that movie. I know. Oh, Chocho. For those of you who don't get this reference, which has popped up on more than one occasion on Opera After Dark, <laughs> that is what the rest of her family and female friends sing when they discover that she has renounced her religion and adopted the Christian religion of Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. And they are shocked and horrified. And the they disappointment think, is evident. Oh, Cho Cho Yes, they're very disappointed. <laughs> I misspoke earlier. Pinkerton is not a captain. He's a lieutenant. How dare you? Even worse. Even worse. And Chojo-san is not some rando that they picked up off of, like, the sidewalk. She is a geisha. Oh. She is a a trained geisha. Okay. Which is not a scandal. Okay. That's not really a scandalous thing. But if she's a geisha, she was, like... A very well, she was like a very respected, yeah. Well, geishas are very educated, yes, and they're trained in all sort of art forms. And she was probably like raised to be like the perfect woman. This is what is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. Like the pinnacle of your life is that you're going to get paired with this man, and this is your job to like entertain and attract him and be like a source of light in his life. Right. All I can think, like a sweet butterfly. (laughs) Yes. All I can think of in this moment is from Mulan. The you'll bring honor to us all. Mulan's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. Also, much more supportive of the central female character. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
But back to butterfly. Back to butterfly. So B to B. She's left alone. Of course, she's pregnant when Pinkerton <laughs> leaves, and he doesn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. But would he have stayed? Probably not. I mean, how do I don't, I don't know. get it? Like I don't know why in a lot of these stories, like the men are so shocked that the woman's pregnant. I'm like, <laughs> do not know how this process works. What? They don't. <laughs> I bet they don't. <laughs> what? Or they're what? like, this was your responsibility to take care of. It's your body. <laughs> <sighs> Or normally they've just... Pinkerton, you fucking suck. They've already moved on by the time that somebody finds out that they're pregnant. So they're like, what? This has never happened before. Right, exactly. Right. (laughs) To my knowledge, this has never happened before. (laughs) Right. As far as I can tell. Anyway. So she's pregnant. She's pregnant. She has his child. What is the child's name? Trouble. Oh, that's right. The child's name is Trouble. Really? It's so sad. And what does she say that when... His father comes when Pinkerton comes back. She will the child's name will then be Joy, something like something that. like that. Yeah. But until then, the kid's name is fucking trouble. Oh gosh, that's yeah, sad. Yeah, like this kid has to live his whole life. I don't know. It's a kid on stage. It is trouble. <laughs> or it's don't a, like that. They're very distracting. Or it's a puppet. Or it's a puppet, like they do at the Met, which I like a lot actually. I really liked the puppet. I like the puppet. I feel like other people have done a puppet too. Puppets reliable. The puppet does exactly what it's supposed to do. <laughs> Although sometimes the puppet is really creepy. Mm. Yeah, but I, I guess that's what I find so fascinating about puppets generally is like how lifelike and convincing they can be. Once you adjust to the idea, you sort of forget that it's not right. a living, breathing Right, entity. and then it makes you think about how powerful a human gesture is because mm-hmm. just by moving the puppet in a certain way, you're con. You're pretty convinced by the puppet's story or what Absolutely. they're emoting. So anyway, uh, around this time, so yeah. Trouble is born. And, um, <laughs> he's like three or four years okay, old. So he can walk and talk. Years so. have passed. He's a toddler. Right. I feel like by the time the second act opens, isn't he already born? It's been a couple of years. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's been a couple of years. Right. So Chojo-san is still at that house with her uh, servant, Suzuki, and... Chocho-san is standing outside looking out onto the ocean and Suzuki comes out and she's like, what are you doing? Chocho-san said, he said he would come back. I want to be here. So I see his ship come in. Um, and she sings the most famous thing in this opera. Mm-hmm. The aria Un Bel Di, which a million people have done a million times in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> and and varying, it's very passionate. Varying it's very degrees sad of success. Because she is with varying degrees of success. Um, as she's singing this ode to this man that she loves, who is a total fucking jackass, who she hasn't heard from. In years. In like four years. Mm -hmm. If he loved you, he couldn't write you a fucking letter. He knows where you live. Also, like, his, there's army bases there and naval bases. Like, he still has contact with people there. (laughs) And even, even the marriage broker Sharpless comes by and he's like, you know, it's been a couple of years. Maybe you should, you should move get on. you should move on and should get married because someone else is interested yeah, in her. Yeah, there's like right? a prince who's interested. A prince in is interested in her, um, and she says no. Oh, I boy. am married to my husband, right, Ben Franklin. Oh, um, and so I and I am and I am loyal to him. But let's listen to somebody sing Unbildi. Who should we listen to sing Renata Tabaldi? Sure, that'd be good.
slide into it. And sure enough. You got a, you got a launch pad into it. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Sure enough. Guys. Guys. This is making me want to do what Chocho-san does at the end of the opera. <laughs> yes. Excuse me. That's real fucking rude. Um, no one's ever said that about my singing. Oh. Anyway, yes, you were going to say? You were saying? Oh, I, I was just going to say that if, if if that didn't end, I was going to go the way of Chocho-san. Any, yes. Okay, great. Oh, but as, outside of that, I was going to say, sure enough, uh-huh. Unbel D does arrive. One fine day does come. It does come, and yes. B.F. Binkerton does return. She's, she sees his boat. What is the boat name? It's also something stupidly American. Uh, it's. I think it's Abraham Lincoln or I think something. It's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh shit, it's the SS Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> it um, is terrible that, like, Puccini, <laughs> no, you start out this opera and it's like, oh, this guy's name is Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton, mm-hmm. and then his ship is Abraham Lincoln. There wasn't, <laughs> like, it wasn't remotely, uh, there was hardly any research that went into like, that. Yeah, he didn't try I'm sure, I'm sure Puccini's like, what do I know about the United States? Exactly. <laughs> the interesting thing with. is to certain people, the uh, Pinkerton is also a very famous name. There really? was the, yeah, there, so there was a, Pinkerton family that were um, it was like a security business but what people know them for is being riot busters during the I think like the 1920s when there were oh yeah uh, labor strikes yeah, yeah. with the Rockefellers like the, the Rockefellers hired the Pinkerton oh. agency to bust it I up. I remember <laughs> that they were detectives also right? coincidentally and, like hired yes thugs. Yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. the Pinkerton that started the company he actually was his name Benjamin Franklin what no close he was a part of the secret service for Abraham Lincoln that's how yeah I, I remember that that's and, right and like, well done Kyle yeah like a week before Abraham Lincoln was assassinated or maybe not exactly a week but not long before he was assassinated uh, Pinkerton was like, yeah, I'm I'm not going to do this anymore. I feel like you're being too risky in your behavior. Like, I can't be accountable for this. And then what happens? He gets shot. Gets shot at a theater. Wait, I was going to say, this might reveal my lack of knowledge of American oh, history. Oh, Canadien. Yeah, the Canadien. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is the one that gets shot at that theater in Washington, D.C., right? Theater by John Wilkes Booth. Ford Theater. Right. The disgruntled actor. Right. right. If you, I've been to the spot. Right. You should see it. Assassins. It's a great musical. He's in it. When you go to Washington, D.C., make sure you check out Ford's Theater. Yes, I remember going on a tour of Ford's Theater. A tour. Yes. Anyhow. Anyway. So, <laughs> so Pinkerton's on his way. What, what, what? And so they, uh, Suzuki and Butterfly sing a very famous duet, which is done on many opera scenes in colleges because it's two women, and that is a rare thing in an opera to have two women sing a duet. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's basically the... them and, like, Norma and Adalgisa, right? And Sularia. Right. And the Lachme duet. Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> I guess there are more than I thought. That time when Naomi and Elspeth uh, proved themselves wrong that was not going where i thought it was going to go for just for the record i thought you were going to go 
ask us to perform these since we no. actually have the correct voice parts for these and i no. was like i don't actually know this you music so i can't <laughs> i can't do that i for just you. don't want if you guys were to legitimately perform it i would enjoy it but when you do your schmaltzy little i can't handle it i can't that's how i sing handle that's how i sing yeah no it's not <laughs> i know definitively that it is not that was not an accurate representation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's a cherry blossom duet, right? That's what it's called. Sure. The flat no, it's a flower duet. Yeah. The cherry blossom duet is that's between Pickerton and, and Chilchison Act One. Okay, because they're like, oh right, they're walking. In they're the cherry, walking in cherry the cherry blossoms, blossoms yeah. fields and stuff like that. So this is the flower duet where they are um, getting the house nice <laughs> right. for Pinkerton to, come, to home. come home. Jeez. So everyone's getting dressed up and we're cleaning and we're putting flowers everywhere. And it's really pretty and listen to some of it now. So they clean the house. They clean the house beautifully. He comes back. Pinkerton comes up over the hill with Sharpless. And who is trailing behind? His Kate. His what? Wife. It's not Kate's fault. That's true. Kate didn't fucking know. <laughs> That's true. That's Uh-oh. very true. This is class- a classic scenario where everybody blames the other woman. And it's not her fault. It's she did not, not know. It's not her fault. So Pinkerton is back because was it? Sharpless sent him a letter being like, hey, man, you got a kid? I think so. So they're like, we're here to take... To take the, the kid. The kid. Ugh. Yes. And it's basically kind of what happens. And they have this... Uh, they reunite and it doesn't go great. It doesn't go well. And then she's not ready to, like, give up the kid. Right. They leave. They're going to come back later to pick him up to actually take him away. Because as a non-white woman, she has no rights in this situation. So he's going to take the child. It's his child. Uh, right. 
And then while they're gone preparing to take her child away, uh-huh. she decides that the only honorable thing to do is to kill herself because uh. she can't possibly live without her child and, and Pinkerton knows- doesn't love her anymore. Right. Yeah. And the child will go with him and have like a better life. Right. In America or whatever. So she says goodbye to her child, which is so sad. Uh-huh. Right. And then she takes out, I think it's like ceremonial long swords or something like uh-huh. that. And she stabs herself. Right. Full on, this is going to sound extremely insensitive. I was going to say full on Last Samurai. Well, I've seen a lot of productions mm-hmm. where they do it super traditionally and she like stabs herself in the throat. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, it's it can be very tastefully done. Like the production at the Met, they use a lot of. Um, oh, it's like a ribbon. That's a yeah, it's yeah. like a ribbon that comes out. It's from sort of like the no neck. no theater, kind of super stylized. Right. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful production. Anthony Mangala designed it. Right. It's very like vibrant mm-hmm. and colorful, but also minimal in a way. Right, so everybody comes running back in, and they're like, oh, no, and Pinkerton's like, oh, no, Cho-Cho-san. He, like, holds her in his arms as she's dying. But, like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> it's your fault. Yeah. It is your fault. Thank you guys for listening to us kind of explain Madame Butterfly. But, well, talk about how much <laughs> BF Pinkerton fucking sucks. Um, and if you want to join us next week, we're going to talk about more sucky men in the musical that is based on Madame, Butter- Madame Butterfly, Miss Saigon, by Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alain Bouble. Wow, that all hit me so fast. <laughs> Bouble? I, I, no. I have no idea. <laughs> I find that if I don't know how to pronounce something, if I do it quickly <laughs> and confidently, and confidently, people hear what they think is correct. Oh, that's too funny. Claude Michel. Claude Michel and Alain. Alain and Claude Michel, um, who are a famous musical theater writing duo. They uh, first wrote a little musicale that you might have heard of called Les Miserables. Ooh. Oh, they wrote that one? Right. Uh, and then writing on the coattails of this, they wrote Miss Saigon. And it was that time in the 80s where, like, big blockbuster musicals were all the rage. It was mm-hmm. Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera and Cats. cats. <laughs> 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 and, and, and Cats, yes. But that's all That's all that you're going to get. If you want to hear more get. about Miss Saigon, you'll have to listen next week. 
or if you're listening to this as time has passed, then go ahead and just skip on to the next episode. Good for you for binging. (laughs) We're all about the binge. Yes. In the meantime, as you wait for next week's episode, we have something new that you can do if you would like to support Opera After Dark, and that would be visiting our Patreon account. (gasps) If you don't know, uh, Patreon is essentially a tool that content creators can use Uh, to help support their efforts in producing their content. So if you like what you're hearing at Opera After Dark and you want to help uh, continue uh, our creation of content, then please go to operaafterdark.com slash Patreon and see if you can support our podcast. It's very simple. Uh, Basically, you can just enter... The, the payment information that you want to, and you can do something as simple as a one-time $5 contribution or even a recurring monthly $1 contribution. It's a really great way to show your support for your favorite content creators, and we would really appreciate it if you checked it out. We will be back with you next week for our comparison to Madama Butterfly with Miss Saigon. Mm-hmm. I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Very, very quickly. Yes. This is the perfect time for me to mention that Madama Butterfly was my first Met Opera. Oh, really? That's a great production. Way back in the standing room, Mm -hmm. uh, which was wonderful. But coincidentally, I was reminded of this because of the puppets. Uh, In that same trip, I wasn't living in New York at the time, just visiting. And in that trip, I saw Lion King on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. which also employs puppets uh, mm-hmm. extensively. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, it was when War Horse was at Lincoln Center Theater. 
Kyle, can we can we talk about this for a second? Because I also saw Warhorse uh-huh. at Lincoln Center. I I saw it with my then roommate Josh, and we looked at each other at the end, and I've never cried so much in public. Oh my gosh, it was it such... destroyed oh, the, like the yeah. two of us. We were like shell shocked on the train back home to Brooklyn. Like, <laughs> what just happened? I know. Yeah, the I love that. Is crazy. Oh, it's it amazing. Was so good. That to me mm-hmm. is like the best use of that stage because it's a huge stage mm-hmm. with a pretty wide angle because it's like kind of a circular proscenium yeah. and the so cape or the, the vivian beaumont the vivian beaumont yeah oh yeah it it was amazing and you're right the puppetry oh. so it was a uh it was all generally within a weekend it was a, a puppet heavy weekend for well, me puppet heavy weekend for you it was awesome three amazing oh, productions yeah. oh, kyle that one scene where the little foal is like running and then he gets oh. to the back of the of the stage oh. and then like full adult horse comes like jumping out to indicate the passage of time that's when i was like Oh my gosh. You just, I have goosebumps right now. You just gave me chills. What's the horse's name? Joey. Joey! He's like, go run, Joey. Oh my God. Kill me. So good. Uh, I thought, Jesus, no. Oh no. Horse. Joey. I did not see it at the Vivian Beaumont, but I did see it in Toronto. Oh, yes. so you know what we're talking about. It traveled to Canada, you know and it was amazing. So Vivian good. Beaumont of the North. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yes. I believe, actually, correction, it was performed at the Princess of Wales Theatre. Whoa. So, oh. Well, yeah. shit. <laughs> That's way fancier. Okay. Tag back in. So Joey to the army. I, Albert Narakot, do solemnly swear that we shall be together again. Yeah.